You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. So this week I'm talking to a friend of mine. What we're talking about in this podcast is recovering and going through the recovery phases of um, recovery from anorexia when you've got a family to look after. I can imagine that's pretty complicated. I didn't have anybody to look after other than myself when I was in recovery and that, believe me, was hard enough. So the demands of um, having children and of course young children who don't really understand what's going on or why anything might have changed can and must be really difficult. We talk about that a lot but we also get into Erin's recovery experience and um, how she's dealing with the process. So let me tell you a little bit about Erin to start with. Um, She's 36 and she's lived in Colorado her entire life. She currently has two children aged 11 and 6 and has been married for 15 years. Erin studied sociology, philosophy and women's studies in college and she has struggled with issues around food and body image since she was preteen. Her eating disorder became severe at the age of 33 Erin says that she wants to help people of all ages, backgrounds and weights understand that they can indeed develop this illness and that it is a life-threatening disorder that needs to be taken seriously. She hopes that her experience can help others know that they are not alone if they are struggling to recover whilst also being a parent. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Here's our conversation. My name's Erin McFarlane. I am 36 years old. Uh, I live in Colorado. I have a husband and two children, a daughter and a son, six and 11. I've, uh, I've struggled with eating issues my whole life, but um, the past several years have got really severe and I uh, was diagnosed with anorexia and exercise bulimia. And I've been um, recovering actively for about five months now. Okay. Um, And you have how many children? I have two children. Uh, Our older daughter is, she's almost 12, and our son is six. Okay. Um, And so how um, you, how was the pregnancies is the first thing I'd like to ask, actually. Yeah, um, I got pregnant when I was 25, 24, but um, it was a surprise. I hadn't planned on having children. And, um, that was a really rough pregnancy for me. Um, I was very uncomfortable with the situation. I was ready to graduate college. Um, and I had to, uh, I had to put that on hold after I had my daughter. And I I think that there was a lot of resentment about that for a long time. Um, that pregnancy was difficult physically because of, I think, the place I was emotionally. Um, I, I gained quite a bit of weight, and I was the heaviest uh, at that point that I've ever been. And I felt <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't have any, uh, I didn't have any eating issues. I didn't restrict. I didn't really exercise regularly, um, but it was definitely uncomfortable. Uh, And then after I had my daughter, uh, I eventually went back and finished my degree. And then when she was five, uh, I got pregnant with our son and he was planned. (laughs) And that was a wonderful pregnancy. 
uh, I was I was definitely smaller when I got pregnant with him, and then smaller. I didn't gain quite as much weight with him as I did with our daughter. Uh, and then after he was born, the weight just sort of fell off really fast. I'm, I mean, I just couldn't I couldn't keep it on, and I was nursing. I nursed both my kids for a long time, um, four years for my daughter and three for my son, and. With my son, I think I was, I, I don't know why, but the weight fell off so quickly. Even though I was eating normally and not, you know, really exercising regularly, just running after two small children was a lot and also nursing him. So I believe that that's what triggered the, the start of my eating disorder, like the, the more severe, this more severe phase of it was losing the weight from after having my son. So what do you think was it that um, necessarily sort of triggered, um, triggered the eating disorder after your second child? So because I'd lost so much weight so quickly after I had my son and had a hard time, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't keep weight on, uh, even though I was eating normally and, and not exercising regularly. Uh, I believe that that created the state of energy deficit. And then uh, after he weaned at the age of three, after he had, you know, nursed, I felt very uh, compulsive about taking up running, <laughs> even though I'd never been a runner um, or interested in running. And, um, and so I started running and uh, it was like I had to throw all my energy into into the running and it felt it felt very compulsive at that point and from there I wanted to improve my running performance and get faster you know at least that's what I thought um, and so I looked at different diets and you know what have you not to lose weight necessarily because now I know I was already underweight um, but I, I thought that I wanted to get faster and so I found the specific diet that I started eating and I lost more weight and it really just spiraled from there. And, um, so I can look back and see that I was looking for ways to continue that energy deficit that I initiated. Um, and the only way I know that now is from you because I didn't understand at the time that that's what causes this. So I've also, I've also heard that energy deficit can be caused for some people just by breastfeeding. I'm not sure if yes. you breastfed. Yeah. yeah, and I believe that that didn't happen to me the first time with my daughter, even though I nursed her for an extended time because I was heavier. Hmm. With my son, I think I got to a point where I was below my body's, you know, whatever level it is for my body, whether it's weight or body fat percentage, where that energy deficit, you know, uh, mindset is triggered. And... Uh, yeah. Quite unintentionally as well, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I had no, I had no intention. I just, I couldn't keep weight on, um, which historically hasn't been a problem for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So then I, I, it was now looking back in retrospect, I can see that that was put into place then and it just went downhill from there. Mm -hmm. So, and now you're in recovery mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're, uh, you're in recovery and you have a family to look after as well. And well, I think we all know that recovery is a pretty difficult time. And um, 
it can there's usually a peak in anxiety when you're actually in recovery um and heightened sort of uh, stress irritability um it gets better of course but i think it, it generally tends to get worse before it gets better um so how are you dealing with all of those things? Or are you just finding that recovery is a walk in the park and, and it's, it's absolutely fine? <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd be talking to you if it was a walk in the park. <laughs> um, it's initially, I, I knew I was ready to leave behind all of the compulsions and the feeling of hopelessness. And so the excitement, you know, at the beginning was it carried me through a couple months. And of course, at that point, whenever I decided that I really wanted, well, it, 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 it first I had to realize that I had anorexia because uh, it, that took me a very long time to even figure that out and get help uh, diagnosing that. That was a huge struggle. And that makes me very angry looking back and seeing that I would go to the doctor and she wouldn't say anything to me, even though I was at a, a very dangerous level of body fat. Um, my weight was still at the quote unquote, you know, low end of normal. So the very lowest you could be for a BMI uh, at my height and the doctor never said anything. Um, and so it was, I, I, I feel angry that I had to work so hard to figure out that I had this problem um, because I did relapse last year, even though I didn't understand until recently that I had relapsed because everywhere you look, you see the stereotype of an anorexic is, or I shouldn't say an anorexic, I should say somebody with anorexia who struggles with anorexia is, you know, in their teens, they have a, BMI of like 12, they're hospitalized, they're upper middle class, they have no children. Um, and so I didn't think it was even possible for me to have an eating disorder because I didn't fit any of that criteria other than being a woman, I guess. Um, and I didn't understand that anybody can get an eating disorder at whatever weight, at whatever time in their lives, whether you're a mother, whether it, it doesn't matter it can affect anybody. And it, it wasn't until I found your, your work that I, I finally felt validated and I was finally able to go get help because I thought that I had just been really good at dieting. <laughs> um, and everywhere where I live, the moms, there, there's a lot of families where I live and all the moms look like I did, you know, very thin, athletic, um, you know, pretty much their entire life is fitness and clean eating and health and, you know, all these sort of neurotic pastimes. And so I didn't, I didn't see that there was anything different about me, even though in my head, I knew that there was, there were, I couldn't stop what I was doing. It's so um, hard in some areas because you're in Denver and I'm in Boulder and I'm so similar sorts of cultures when it comes to diet and fitness and yes. you know, Boulder, Boulder is so full of um, people on say vegan or other restricted diets such as gluten-free or um, sugar-free or there's always something free it's very it's very strange in Boulder to actually meet somebody who's not on some kind of 
restrictive diet and I I am often the only person (laughs) in the room who's not on some kind of restrictive diet it it can be yes but there's with anorexia there's often which is it's so silly because you you know there's sort of um often that voice saying well it's normal to eat like that everybody else is eating restrictively so I'm allowed to do it as well and it makes you feel really sort of oh it's not fair that I can't eat restrictive just like everybody else is but the truth is is that you can't (laughs) Exactly. And the sad part is, is that they may have the same struggle, but they don't know it. Um, and, and so, you know, going into recovery, first I had to figure out that I had this disease. Um, so that was a huge hurdle in and of itself. And then, you know, initially, like I said, there was a lot of momentum because I was still underweight. And so I could just like eat a lot and, um, you know, enjoy that it was difficult to get used to the effects of the physical effects of increasing my intake while taking care of a family. I think that right there is actually one of the most difficult. So explain that a little bit to me, increasing your intake while taking care of a family. Sure. So, I mean, I, you know, the, the recommendation, um, you know, of high minimums and, you know, cold Turkey exercise, um, cutting out all, extraneous and compulsive movements, not just exercise, but, you know, extra trips upstairs and trips to the store and those sorts of things. Those are very difficult as a mom because I'm basically on my feet all day. Um, I'm, you know, doing laundry and going to the store and cooking and cleaning. And, and while I've cut back those things as much as I can, it's still, I still can't just lay on the couch all day. I mean, once in a while I get a day where I can do that, but, um, we have a very busy family life and my kids have sports and, um, it's just, just keeping those things going is very hard when you're trying to eat, you know, 10,000 calories a day coming from being, you know, not being able to digest food well and getting your digestive system back, you know, just the physical discomfort is very, disconcerting and sometimes it would be enough to make me feel like I don't want to do this anymore because it was so much easier to just be in robot mode and have that like high energy level from being you know an energy deficit where you kind of just get that buzzing energy all the time Mm -hmm. um where you're not really present but you you're you're able to just go you just need go 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 mode the whole time Yes, exactly. And I felt like in that state, I was efficient and I could get things done. And there's so much pressure as a mother to, you know, do all of these things and be super mom and volunteer and, you know. And people are used to you doing all that as well. I think that's difficult because I know I've not had children, but even in places, sort of my workplace, when I made the shift from being that go, go, go person that went at a million miles an hour all day, every day to slowing down a bit and looking after myself, I was kind of less productive. Yes. <laughs> um, I probably was a much nicer person and, um, you know, it was what I needed to do. But if you're just looking at raw productivity, um, I wasn't as productive. And I imagine that when, say, if you're, you know, the head of the household in terms of organizing the household manager, so to speak, and you're, mm-hmm. 
doing all these things with the kids and everybody's used to everything being done because mum's done it. And yeah. then it's how do you sort of make an announcement to the family like, hey guys, mum's not doing as much anymore. It, exactly. And it's like, well, where's my clean underwear, mom? I mean, it's always there, you know, and and um, and it's difficult because my kids don't know, you know, what I've gone through um, and what recover, you know, that I'm I'm doing this right now. Um, and, uh, so trying to find a quieter place here. Um, so just, you know, explaining to them that I need more rest is, you know, what they would say, well, why? And I mean, my daughter's obviously old enough to understand some of this. Um, but I haven't explained it to her explicitly. Um, so I kind of feel a little bit um, trapped by that because I'm just sort of doing this alone in a sense that I can't really explain it to my kids. Um, like if they just suddenly saw me laying on the couch all day, they'd be like, what's wrong, mom? Like, do you have cancer or something? And um, so I'm really kind of trying to do my best to keep all those balls in the air as best I can while taking care of their needs, you know, physically, emotionally. Um, and it's very hard. It's because everybody knows how emotionally challenging this work is. Um, and attending to that is, it's not convenient and it's not easy. And you often put other people's needs before your own. I think one um, of the things that I worry about a little bit with, with mothers, especially, because I think that even with anybody, it can be quite difficult where, um, I'll sometimes, you know, if you're especially looking after other people and, and rushing around and doing things, I'll sort of probably making sure that everybody else is fed and then realizing that you didn't even get anything for yourself or, yes, um, or, you know, saying, oh, yes, dear, I'll come and pick you up from so-and-so's house and then realizing that, oh, it's 3.30 and I really should be eating a snack now. And yes. it's hard enough for me to eat anyway, because I've got all this resistance in my head, but you know, when you get into that, well, I, I have to eat it. I know I have to eat it, but, oh, I don't want to eat it too early or I don't want to eat it too late. And you're just sort of having those panics. And I know it was a long time for me before, say, with snacks, I'd be able to actually take food with me and even eat while I was in the car. Or, you know, I I, I was so unrelaxed about eating that I had to be at home and it had to be. Yes. I had, everything had to be in place. And, and with time, all of that let go. And now, you know, I could grab a snack anywhere from a service station on the go. And But I do know in early stage recovery, it almost felt impossible for me to think about, say, eating out of place. And I imagine if you have children, you can't control the environment to such an extent and always be know where you're going to be in the middle of the afternoon or if you're going to be at home or not. Yeah, exactly. I mean... I'm, I, that's been just being so busy, especially it's during the day that I've had the biggest struggle, you know, like the mid morning snack and then the lunch and the afternoon snack. Um, because it, it, I was out of the habit of doing that for so long that even starting that was, there was so much anxiety around that. And so now I've gotten, better about planning ahead. Just like I, like if I pack my kids lunches in the morning, which I do, um, I'll make sure to pack things ahead of time for myself so that if I'm out, I have them mm -hmm. and I don't have to think about it later. So I just sort of 
And I mean, now I've gotten to the place where I can have whatever like they're having, you know, if I'm packing That's them. Great. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, I have to make myself a special thing. Um, it's just, well, what are they having? Well, I'll just throw that in for me. I, I think, though, Erin, there must be some, in some senses, it must be uh, almost beneficial because you'll be pushed to do things quicker. Um, you know, for the, with that snack example, it took me a really damn long time to go from, you know, first of all, deciding I'm going to eat in the middle of the afternoon, which was hard enough. But then it took me a long time to get out of, but I have to be at home and, it, you know, it has to be this snack at this time. And it was still very controlled for a really long time, but because I didn't have any body or anything actually forcing me to take, take it so that I could just eat on the run or be more relaxed about it. You know, whereas if you have children for you, it probably is going to have to be a bit faster. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that's, that is one of the benefits is that I don't really have the luxury to drag my feet with stuff. It's like, I have to like, I've got to get this down. And, um, it, definitely takes that element of hesitating that I normally would have if I didn't have two kids to take care of and all this other stuff going. And, um, so I, and I know now that dragging that out isn't going to help anybody. And so it, it gives me the impetus to just sort of jump and mm -hmm. make the leap and push, push myself and be uncomfortable because it's going to end up benefiting everybody. Mm -hmm. it, it certainly does and you know had I known had I known then what I know now I you know I would have pushed myself a lot faster to become a lot you know more relaxed around food but um mm -hmm. you know as it was my recovery was sort of a four-year stint and it you know it's which was fine and uh, it worked and I got there in the end but I do believe it it can it, with 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 the right sort of pressure and support we can usually sort of actually make changes a lot faster than that. Um, and I guess that with children, because I, I don't know, because I don't have children, but I'm told that sort of, as most mothers just really put the children first. And so that must be some, some extra drive for you to be more flexible and be like, well, the kids need this, so I'm just gonna have to feed myself and get up and, and, and go. Um, whereas I know that, in that period for me where I just got used to eating mid-afternoon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, just keeping them at the fore of the, you know, this is the reason. They're a huge reason why I made this decision in the first place because I, I was so upset that I didn't understand that my, my body was shutting down. And when that was happening... I thought everything was great. And even though I knew my life was not how I wanted it to be, it was very compulsive. I thought I was in perfect health and, um, I could have just, I could have just died and not understood what was happening. Mm. And cause we really that, don't understand the what's going on no. in our bodies and we don't understand the, or it's not that we necessarily understand it. It's sort of the effects of malnutrition just be, uh, make, don't make themselves aware to us most of the time. And we can be having sort of quite large things going on in systems in our bodies and be completely unaware of it. Yes. And I, I'm so grateful that um, I had this little, you know, like tap on the shoulder from a trainer at my gym. And, you know, I, I was on this, scale one day, you know, and I showed her like, Oh, I'm such and such 
body fat. Wow. Like, look at this. And she just looked at me and she's like, what are you doing? She just said, what? I mean, it, it was a scary number. And at the time I'm like, wow, like lower is better. This is great. And she said, your organs are shutting down. I mean, she could see all the information on the screen. And I was like, oh, I, it hadn't even occurred to me. Right, because you don't feel your organs shutting down. It's not like your body no. sends up a signal saying, shutting down organs today. You yeah, know, it's, like, it... oh, your heart might just stop because <laughs> your heart actually needs fat to run. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's unbelievable to me that I got to that place and nobody said anything Whereas if I were, say, 20 or 30 pounds, quote unquote, overweight, and I went to the doctor, the first thing they would tell me is, you need to lose weight, even though that weight had no effect on my health. No. I could be underweight, severely, you know, depleted of body fat, and nobody says anything. I know. And it's because it's so, the message is just always thin is good, thin is good, thin is good. So I think that sometimes people may look at us or look at a person who's very underweight and think, oh, that doesn't look healthy. But then another part of their brain says, well, that it must be healthy because it's thin and thin is good. Yeah, I think that people, it's not that people don't notice. I just think that they then, there's just so, it's so confusing because, we're consistently given the message that thin is good. And yes. And we're also consistently given the message that overweight is bad. So mm -hmm. it's just assumed each way. And it's so um it's so disheartening that medical professionals who really should know better get pulled into that as well. Um just shows how strong marketing is, I guess. It's true and it's it's insidious. And I mean I didn't I was very, I was very thin, but I was so muscular from all the exercise mm -hmm. that that's why my BMI never got to, you mm -hmm. know, 15 or whatever. Um, so I didn't look like I was emaciated, like in the traditional sense that you would think somebody who, who weighs 80 pounds would, you know, look. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was very sick nonetheless. And I remember my daughter would tell me, mom, you're so skinny. You're too, you're too skinny. And I was very self-conscious about that because our daughter is a very, she's very solid. <laughs> she's got a very solid muscular, um, you know, she's always been big and tall and she's very powerful. She's an athlete. Um, and when she said that to me, I just felt so sad because I never wanted her to think that she needed to be that way. And, and at the time I didn't understand how this disease works that, and I knew I didn't, I wasn't doing this because I was vain and I wanted to be thin. It was because I couldn't stop. I think and, with some of us though, because those of us who, who really don't ever want to be thin, it sort of almost excuses it more because in my mind that used to always tell me, well, you don't have an eating disorder because you don't want to be thin. So mm -hmm. it, it sort of, in some warped way, excused my behavior, excused my restriction, excused me losing even more weight because I could just tell myself, you don't have an eating disorder because you don't want to be thin. Exactly. And I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm, I have a degree in women's studies and I'm a feminist and, and I, you know, I shaved my head before we got married. Like, I'm like, I can't. I am not a pretty girl. Like it's, that's, I'm not, that's not me. And I would be at the gym and I hate, I hated that gym because it was just like this, 
this like fishbowl of women who were there to like show off and and I hated it and I would look around and think wow all these women have a problem they're exercising so much and all they care about is looking thin and I here I was like three hours a day or whatever and you know I couldn't so I, I was so detached from that and I couldn't see I I couldn't see that that would be possible for me. It was because my intention was different than theirs. And, um, and so, yeah, that was a huge barrier to, to seeking help because I didn't think I was vain. <laughs> um, What's the most sort of difficult part of your day at the moment where you are in, in the middle of recovery and dealing with recovery and family? Is there anything that stands out? Really getting to a place where I feel totally comfortable with my body and projecting that out so that my daughter has a good example of accepting herself no matter what she looks like and trying to change the narrative about what what fat is, you know, that fat on our bodies keeps us alive and fat makes us, you know, all of our organs work and calling somebody fat is not a, is not, it shouldn't be an insult, you know, it's just a descriptive word. And because I'm very aware of her internalizing these things for herself since she is bigger and I don't want her to fall into that same trap of disparaging herself based on what her body looks like. Um, and so the, the weight gain, the weight gain is the hardest part for me right now because while I would obviously accept anybody for whatever their body looks like, I don't care whether they gain weight or whatever, um, accepting myself unconditionally is, is my biggest struggle. Sometimes I think um, it feels acceptable to be like, well, I, I would never... I would never discriminate another against another person's body, and I'm, you know, complete happily happy with body diversity for everybody else. Yes, but, but I can I can discriminate against myself, and I can be mean again about my own body. Um, and because you're in recovery, and anorexia is still active, and you're still coming out of energy deficit, of course, anorexia has a lot of things to say about the weight gain, um, which will get better, but. Um, it's the new body problem. It's this this time period between weight gain and actually your brain catching up um, with the acceptance of this new body that you're in. And I, I do believe that for most people, actually, that the first six to 12 months after initial weight gain is actually the hardest in terms of recovery because the brain is somewhat still arguing with the mm -hmm. weight gain. And the rate gain is a reality. We can't pretend it doesn't happen. It has to happen. So it is true that you have gained weight and that can feel really difficult to um, navigate with the anorexia brain that's still active when you're in that stage of recovery. Um, it gets better, <laughs> but it's, it's sort of in that in-between stage. It's, it feels like I feel a lot of people sometimes just have complete tantrums in their brain when it's just like, I want to go back and this isn't right and I don't feel right in this body and who the hell's body is this anybody? Anyway, because it feels like an alien to me. Yes. Um, and if you have children around, uh, possibly a good thing because maybe it makes you 
shut those thoughts down a bit quicker and just get on with it. Yeah, it was, um, you know, she never knew what I was going through, but my food neuroses and the control that I tried to have around food affected her in such a way that she felt like she couldn't eat what she wanted. And it was very clear to her that I thought, you know, sugar was bad and we need to limit sugar. We need to not eat sweets all the time. Um, and that led to some already at her age, you know, starting a few years ago, well, five or six years ago, I guess, um, she would sneak food and she would hoard food and I would find it in bizarre places and like just strange things stuffed down beside her bed. Um, and when I saw that, it, that was, that was a huge shift for me mentally because I realized that my, my issues were affecting her mm, and wow. she was already reacting to me restricting. Um, and I was upset with myself for that, even though, you know, I, I understand now that was part of the disorder. I was, I was so angry with myself because I had created these issues where they hadn't been before based on my hangups and everything that I was struggling to accept. And as soon as I realized that I went out and I bought like a crap ton of, you know, junk food, like I brought home Oreos and soda and, and put them in the pantry. And I said, you can eat as much of these as you want. I don't care. And she just, her jaw dropped and she was she's like, really? And, and so, you know, initially it's like you go, she goes crazy. And, um, she still did sneak food for a while after that, because in her brain, there was still a limit, mm -hmm. you know, it, it had been in place for so long that she continued that habit of sneaking it. Um, and so I, I just reassured her that she can have it whenever she wants and however much she wants. And Scarcity definitely begets hoarding yes. behavior, wanting, wanting the whole time. And when we get used to things not being scarce and food isn't scarce and I can eat whenever I want, then, yeah, you're, you know, in the first instance or the first little while, you're usually a lot more of the food, but then it will just become normal and you'll be like, oh, it's just there. I don't need to eat it the whole time. Exactly. And that, that, it ended up producing the exact opposite results that I was going for. <laughs> so in my head, I was like, Oh, if I keep her from having sugar, she's going to want to eat vegetables all the time. No, she's like, she ran in the other direction and just, she's like, I'm just going to go figure out how to get sugar. And you know, now I just, I don't care. Like it doesn't bother me, but I would have, I would get panic attacks watching her eat birthday cake at a friend's party when I was in my disorder. I mean, it, I couldn't even watch because I was terrified. Mm. She's going to get diabetes. She's going to have cavity. I mean, whatever it was, it was horrible. Just the reactions that I had. And I, I just wanted to relax and have fun with her and enjoy her and let her do what she wanted. But it made such, it, it, it had such a grip on my mind that I couldn't let those things Yeah, go. I sometimes think that popular nutritional science is one of the most damaging things <laughs> to the human race because all we've done is 
make people restrict food the, the bam effect of that is immediately wanting more of something if it's yes if it's a scarce if it's created in you know if, if the notion is that something's scarce we immediately want more of it so it's, all this nutritional science that's come up saying this is bad for you that's bad for you this is bad for you it's just created anxiety and stress and as you notice with your daughter the opposite happens mm-hmm. when when we restrict yeah I, I, it, that scared me. And I, I realized that I had affected her at such a young age and I had to do something to correct that because even though I didn't choose the disorder, I could choose how to, um, rectify that and hopefully heal her relationship so that she just has a normal relationship to food, which I'm sure she will. Um, I think so. Yeah. She's a good, so uh, I spent a lot of time on my own when I was in recovery through choice although kind of through choice I didn't really have any friends left at that stage but you know it was it was good for me to be alone in especially in the later stages of recovery where I finally really started eating because well I just didn't feel very social I think my body went into complete shutdown and rest mode when it, you know, yes. I was actually eating enough and all I wanted to do really was stay in and eat and that's all I did do. Uh, I didn't have any family, very few friends, so it was very easy for me to shut the door and, and stay in and look after myself. I imagined that finding that alone time, if you feel that you need it. I was also irritable. That was really shitty, oh, yeah. shitty and irritable. We're so irritable. So... It, I knew that I wasn't the best company and I wasn't craving people like other people either. So it was fine. But I imagine if you have children, then finding that space can be difficult. It It's very hard. My husband's very, very supportive and gives that to me whenever, I mean, he's like, you need to just go lay down and uh, I'm bringing dinner home tonight. Don't cook. I don't want you to do anything. Um, I'm kind of an introvert anyway. And so I, I kind of have that tendency to want to just stay home. But um, the the most difficult, you know, I, I feel guilty if I don't go to their practices, like their, you know, football practice or whatever, and not, you know, I don't feel like socializing. Um, and then there's a lot of shame attached to that because I feel like I should be out there, you know, on the sidelines watching all the time. Um, instead of laying here on the couch. I'm sure that anorexia amplifies that shame for you, saying, wait a minute, you're actually staying on the couch, resting and eating, rather than going out and watching your children? (gasps) Oh, absolutely. It's it's very hard. And even even now, as I've, you know, weight restored and and I feel more balanced mentally, I still feel that shame. Um, And so you have the shame of the eating coupled with the shame of, not being a perfect mother and, and it, it's, it's a lot to deal with sometimes. And I just sometimes feel like I just want to run away because the pressure is so, it's so much. And there's an, there's so much pressure on you as a mother anyway. And when you live in a place where you're expected to look a certain way and do things a certain way, I just want to hide. I, I get so tired of it. And I, I really want to use that to redefine what we're allowed quote unquote to be as mothers um because there's it's ridiculous the amount of pressure that we put on ourselves and society puts on us and i really want to try to change 
how people perceive this role and how how women see themselves as mothers and to hopefully give themselves more compassion because we don't we're really not offered that regularly and um it's very easy to scrutinize yourself and and to feel shameful yeah anorexia doesn't need any any extra ammunition to throw at you so how do you what do you tell yourself to sort of help yourself um do what you knew that you really need to do um I tell myself that if I don't get this now, I'm never going to fully recover. And I do not want to live in a state of quasi-recovery for the indefinite future. I want my freedom back. I want my mind back. I want my sense of humor back. I want my energy back. I want my brain back. And if I don't, if I don't sufficiently meet my needs now this will drag on you know as long as as those issues go unresolved and now i i feel slightly less guilty i guess um because my kids are a little older and so i don't worry as much about them i know that there's a lot of people out there with very small children you know toddlers and i cannot imagine how difficult that is because that is exhausting just chasing after small children all day you you barely get your physical needs met let alone your emotional needs um and so i have a lot of compassion for women in that situation that have very small children i'm at least grateful that my kids are old enough that i don't need to you know take care of them around the clock physically um and so I'm I'm trying to grant myself that time to heal because if I don't I can't be the person that I want to be for my kids. And and that really pushes me to go okay, no, this is okay. I have been a mother for 12 years and I grew these babies and I fed them. My body was some, belonged to them for 8 years and it's okay that I'm laying on the couch and eating and resting and and trying to heal from this because a lot of times I would talk myself out of it being a real illness um and trying to say oh well it wasn't that bad oh it's okay now I've gained weight but I know that's not true that I I you know all of a sudden just because I've put on weight it doesn't mean that I don't need to keep resting and I need to keep healing I think that's so, really critical, Erin, um, because we so many people assume that oh, you know, weight restoration is gaining weight, and then I'm then it's done, and it's not because you have this energy debt that's accumulated all of the time that you've been restricting and all the time you've been in energy deficit day after day after day, you're accumulating energy debt, and you weight restore, and then your body will start making those repairs that it needs to make. And that time there, and that's why I say it's the six to 12 months after weight restoration that's hard for people, because that's usually when you feel the most exhausted because your body's mm-hmm. doing so much internally. And it's it's often a time when we go through a bit of a second puberty because hormonal <laughs> yeah. systems are kicking up and doing it. So that, that time can be really very difficult. And it's, so weight restoration is a very vital first step, but it's not the end of the process by a long way. And I think you have to be very 
strong in your understanding of that also so that you can help other people understand it. Because if people have seen you underweight and very thin and then you put on weight and they assume, oh, you're done, you're fine now. And that's absolutely not the case. So not only do you have to be able to convince yourself and tell yourself against the eating disorder telling you, you're, you've put on weight now, so you should be better and you're just being lazy and all of those things it tells you. But you have to be strong enough to convince yourself and other people that you need to continue to rest and eat. Absolutely. And I mean, I have no idea what's going on in my body. I mean, I was restricting myself for, you know, an, an underweight for, you know, a good solid six years. And if I think about the hours that I spent exercising and nursing and, you know, running around and lifting weights and all the crazy stuff, I mean, you know, and then not fueling my body sufficiently, there's a lot of repairs that need to be made. And I'm not going to question that because when my body was growing a baby, I didn't go, oh, okay, you've gained the, uh, you know, you gained 10 pounds, which is how much a baby weighs. We should stop now because we don't need to finish, you know, putting on extra weight. It's like, no, this is a process and my body knows what it's doing. And so I'm, I'm actually grateful that I have that reference point because for me, that's an analogy of, I don't question what's happening in my body. My body knows exactly what it's doing and I'm going to let it finish its job. And it will tell me when it's, when it's ready and I will feel it. Um, and so just having that under my belt is, is really helpful. And I guess it's one of the benefits of being older with kids is you have a little more perspective than, you know, when you're younger and you're just sort of lost and you don't have these reference points. So that's kind of helped me have faith that my body knows what it's doing. It does. Yeah, <laughs> it really that's, does. That's, I, I know that now. <laughs> yeah. Trust your body. It knows what it's doing. And yeah. All your job is, is eating and resting and we keep going. I know that that's uh, a lot more difficult than it is to say, but uh, I think you're doing great um, and it will be so worth it. Yeah, I, I already feel, um, I mean, just after working with you and, you know, all of these great resources that I found, um, just the, the mental freedom that I've I've started to feel is once you feel that it, you just want to keep going because you know, that initial early stage is so difficult and you don't really know where you're going or, or what's going to happen or what this is going to look like. But, um, something happens. And I, I found for me, it was like, after I I'd gained a certain amount of weight, whatever that was for myself, it was like a switch and the compulsiveness started to fade away. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, that was incredibly liberating because I didn't think I, I have to go and do push ups while the washer is running. Um, I have to go and get in another 20 mile or 20 minute run while, before I pick up my kids. And, um, I hated those thoughts and I wanted them out of my head as fast as I could get them. So yeah, just, just tasting that freedom it keeps it keeps me going it's a funny thing isn't it it's hard to describe for anybody that's in it but for me I, I know exactly what you felt where that compulsiveness just switched off and I'd have the thought so say same sort of thing or even if it was a public event I'd have the thought I could go like jog on the spot in the cubicle like I usually do and then another thought would just be like 
you don't have to. And then it, that would be just so strange to even have that second option there. But that yeah. second option was there when it, once I got over a threshold weight. Oh, you don't have to. And I'd be like, okay, well, I won't then, I guess. <laughs> Which felt scary, but just like, oh, all right, then I'm just not going to do that. You urge surf it. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I think one of my one of my saddest memories was when we had our son's birthday party a couple years ago. And um, it was at a, our fitness center, the gym. And while everybody was, you know, I, we were waiting for everybody to show up. And I, I ran upstairs and I, I had to work out um, rather than being down with everybody and talking to everybody and visiting and being part of all that. I chose to go upstairs and exercise, even though I'd already exercised that day. Um, that was really sad. And mm. I didn't understand at the time why I had to go do that. Um, but now I can just be present and engage with everybody and connect with people and listen to them and be interested in them and, and not be stuck on some stupid machine. <laughs> That's a good feeling. All right. Huge thank you to Erin for sharing so much there and telling us so much about her recovery and um, lots of personal experiences, which of course are unique to Erin, but I'm sure that many of you listening may have felt the same sort of thing. Erin um, sent me a note afterwards saying that she would like me to add in that she thinks she could have addressed in greater detail the difficulty that she had of letting go of exercise as a coping mechanism for dealing with stress related to taking care of the children. And also she mentioned the low level movement such as housework that became compulsive for her in recovery. So I think there she's saying when she stopped the exercise, as many of us notice, when we stop formal exercise, these lower level movements become a lot more compulsive. Um, so things like, um, you know, housework and shopping and chores. And Erin said that asking for help with chores and cooking and shopping and errands has been extremely helpful in her recovery. And things like allowing a husband to pick up takeout on the way home, which has addressed her fear not only about only eating home-cooked meals that she could prepare for herself, um, but has also helped her um, sort of not be as much nervous about spending money and be saying to her husband, hey, just get us takeout and spend money on food and let's not always have to make it the cheap way at home. She says that she has her kids participate more now in doing things like laundry and yard work, and these activities have been prime opportunities for the eating disorder previously to um, get her to move more compulsively. So letting go of control over them has been extremely difficult, but crucial in her recovery. I don't have children, but I can absolutely identify with many of those things. Um, just being able to say to someone else, hey, can you do this thing? You know, I know that I usually do it. But can you do this thing from now on, whether it be doing the laundry or raking the leaves? Oh, that was a good one. I used to be an obsessive leaf raker in fall. Not because I like raking leaves and not because I like gardening. I don't like either of those things. It was just all about the movement. I had to do it all. And my husband probably didn't even think about it, but you know, he doesn't like raking leaves. So he probably just thought, well, she's enjoying raking the leaves, so I'll leave it. But you know, Nowadays, I say to him, all right, your turn. <laughs> you go out and rake the leaves. And it's actually quite easy to say those things. You've just got to do it. 
big thank you to Erin again um, for being brave and talking to me. If you would like to be on a podcast, if you think you have a story to tell that would be helpful for other people in recoveries, then email me. My email address is info at tabithafra.com. You can also contact me via the contact form on my website at tabithafra.com. You can tweet at me. Twitter handle is at love underscore bat underscore. Thank you for listening.